kei ngā waiwai kai kapua, kei ngā waiwai kai pakiaka o te motu, rarau mai ki te hui. Ko mihi ngā rangi tēnei, e mihi atu nei kia koutou katoa. Welcome to the hui, Māori Current Affairs for all New Zealanders. E taroa kenei. It's one of Aotearoa's deadliest cancers. It's so sad that we have lost two of them. We take things for granted sometimes, don't we? Northland Whānau discuss the devastating impacts of bowel cancer. Without the knowledge or the information, you're just in the dark. And the screening programme that could save lives. Something that could have been avoided just by that simple checkup. Then co-governance. What is it? And how do we have a conversation about it? The current system hasn't worked. The social statistics are so bad. Let's have a debate about it because uh, people might be surprised at the outcome. We invite the experts to weigh in. The best way that Crown and Māori and Aotearoa can address these discussions is by recognising that we are stronger together. And we explore the fascinating stories in the new book, Tangata Ngaitahu. It's one of Aotearoa's deadliest cancers and it's increasing amongst Māori. But if caught early, bowel cancer is treatable and survivable. Now a nationwide home screening programme aims to detect between 500 and 700 cancers a year. And for whānau in Te Tai Tokerau, it can't come soon enough. Rawani Pereira headed north, the latest rohe to be targeted in the battle against bowel cancer. It's the heartbreak of losing a loved one to a disease that's treatable if caught early. By the time we acted, it was way too late. Way too late. A silent killer that's Aotearoa's second most deadly cancer. It's so sad that we have lost two of them. We take things for granted sometimes, don't we? But now a new home-based screening programme in Northland aims to beat bowel cancer. It was here at Pakanai Church in the Hokianga where Anglican priest Peter Nida said his final goodbye to his beloved wife Marina in 2020. She's at peace, um, there's no more pain. The couple were both in the ministry, a calling that set them apart, both working for churches across Northland. And quite a novelty at that time to be a husband and wife both in the ministry. It was, definitely. Yeah, definitely. You know, like throughout our church anyway, in, in Taitokerei, it wouldn't be many. She was on her game until 2020, and when the first pandemic came, and we all went into lockdown, and that was virtually our first break, you know, from being on call 24-7 in such a large district. And it was in that period of time that things started to unravel. Peter's wife, 64-year-old Marina Nida, was diagnosed with bowel cancer in October. By December, she was dead. This 
tumour that she carried, it was, it was massive. It had got into her bone, it had got into her, her cervix, and by the last CT scan, they could identify it had already reached her liver. A week later, we're having a colonoscopy. A week later, we're admitted into Whangarei Hospital. A week later, we're discharged with the news. You've got roughly two months. And it was two months to the day. That's how quick it was. Aotearoa has one of the highest rates of bowel or colorectal cancer in the world and is the third most deadly cancer for Māori. There's been a push to detect this type of cancer in its early stages, where it can often be successfully treated. And that's led to an initiative that's being rolled out across the motu. The national screening program began in 2017 with the Hutt Valley and Wairarapa DHBs. It's finally made it here to Northland, where 36,000 home testing kits will go out over the next two years. The focus here is very much on Māori whānau, because while Māori are less likely to get bowel cancer, once diagnosed, they're 30% more likely to die from it. Stuart Selkirk is part of promoting Te Tai Tokiro's screening program and says they expect to diagnose around 50 cancers through this testing. The aim of the program is um, early detection. So if we are able to, to find a, a cancer early enough, something can be done about it. Testing is free for those aged 60 to 74, an age range that discriminates against Māori, because for Māori, a greater proportion of bowel cancer occurs before the age of 60. Is the eligible age too high for Māori? Well, it is too high, but to become a national programme, we had to start at some point, and I know we're all saying the same thing at each DHB, is how can we lower the age range because of course, a lot of our people, our whānau, are being affected a lot younger than 60. In terms of uh, Māori and Pacifica, we would prefer that the age is lowered to, um, to 50 because we know that Māori and Pacifica people die a lot earlier than, than uh, other non-Māori, non-Pacific groups. We've certainly tried, and I think they've been listening. Respected Kaumatua Rex Nathan has been talking with whānau groups, spreading the message and addressing their concerns with testing procedures. Open the tube and scrape the stick over your bowel motion so the end is well covered. The whakamā around having stool tests is thought to be a significant obstacle to early detection. But the home testing kit allows samples to be collected in the privacy of your own bathroom removing some of the barriers for whānau to bowel cancer screening. Some people regard that as being very tapu. Particularly within Māori families, they don't like to send part of their body back in the post. And so we encourage them, you know, that it's a very minute part that could help save their life in the end. For the Stevens whānau, bowel cancer runs in the whakapapa. 
It took the life of their older brother, Walter. His cancer so aggressive, none of his family got the chance to say goodbye. The way our brother died, like, we just found out on a Saturday, Sunday he was dead. Their sister Bubsy is buried up the road on their whenua at Pawaringa. Bowel cancer once again, the culprit. Wow, I look at her photos, how beautiful she was, you know, before she got sick. And actually looking at her in her coffin when she passed away, you know, it didn't even look like her sister. And the hardest part was saying goodbye to her because we know we're never going to see her alive again. Yeah. Yeah. And 63-year-old Alma Stevens has had her own battles. She's had three polyps in her bowel removed and has to have checkups every five years to make sure there's no cancerous growths. How much easier is it knowing that you can test at home? A couple of times I had to take my stool into the laboratory, you know, to get it checked. And it's quite embarrassing. But now that we can do it at home, we get a bell screening kit. Simple. Alma and the Stevens whanau want to encourage others to get tested too, and to remind them that this is a cancer that can happen at any age to anyone. This kaupapa has really made us aware of the sickness that is in our whakapapa, and it's brought us more closer in regards to uh, ensuring that we look after ourselves and do the screen testing and colonoscopy on a regular basis. If it is such a thing as a positive side of COVID is that it's made us all look at our own wellness and our own health welfare. And the bowel screening program has come along at a good time, I feel, in that we can now look at our bowel cancer wellness within Titaitukere. Do you think undertaking a screening at home could have saved Marina's life? I would say so, if it was available. Without the knowledge or the information, you're just in the dark. So sad that we have lost two of them. Something that could have been avoided just by that simple checkup, you know. Mm. Nga Rawani Pereira, Tera Ripuata. Hey Muri, inga fakatairanga kamatapaki here, ngataki manatauriti, inga matanga. The political debate over co-governance is getting hotter than a hangi stone. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern says co-governance is becoming an increasingly politicised term. Act leader David Seymour is calling for a referendum on it and Nationals' Christopher Luxon says he's not sure what it means. Someone who's worked at the forefront of co-governance is business leader Tracy Hopapa. In 2007, Hopapa was appointed to the Waikato Guardians Establishment Committee, the forerunner to the Waikato River Authority, widely considered a co-governance success story. I asked Tracy about her views on how to have a national conversation about co-governance.
who needs to be part of the conversation? How do we have the conversation um, in an intelligent and informed way? Mm. I agree that in part this is a political debate, a discussion and decision, and I use those words purposefully, uh, understanding that political debate uh, doesn't only mean those elected uh, officials and representatives in parliament, uh, but also a political debate for us as te ao Māori. And so those, I would fully expect that the natural and legacy leaders uh, of Te Ao Māori would participate in those discussions, and we must. Uh, and then there is a space, of course, for a view from uh, the governance organisations and entities, uh, chairman and otherwise, alongside of industry sector and thought leadership. The best way that Crown and Māori and Aotearoa can address these discussions is by recognising that we are stronger together, that our best bet of success and sustainable intergenerational wealth, prosperity and well-being is by considering what's good for all of us and acknowledging that Māori have an important part to play in these discussions. Uh, we bring intergenerational view, but we also bring intergenerational experience of su survival, resilience, you know, revitalization, and that needs to be there. I think the big key, going back to the Guardian's Establishment Committee as a working model, uh, one of the things that we spent a lot of time doing in the first instance was just acknowledging that everyone's view had merit, everyone's voice should be heard, everyone's value should be recognised and respected. And that gave way to some a very safe and uh, robust uh, conversations and discussions. And again, that's about leadership. Tracy Well, during his time as the National Government's Minister for Treaty Settlements, Chris Finlayson helped to design and give effect to a number of co-governance relationships. The former Attorney General, uh, Attorney General joins me now from Te Whanganui Atara. Tēnā koe e Chris. Kia ora, how are you? Good. Would you agree with what Tracy had to say? Yes. Uh, when I first became the Minister, Michael Cullen had just negotiated with Waikato Tainui, the co-governance arrangement over the Waikato River. What I was required to do was bring the other iwi on the river uh, into that relationship. Uh, and I also expanded it to bring in Ngāti Maniapoto with the Waipa. And so that particular co-governance authority has been working very well. Uh, it was chaired for a long time by, or co-chaired, by Tuku Morgan and the late John Luxton. They got on very well uh, and they achieved some great things together knowing full well that it took 70 years to get the Waikato and the Waipa into that very poor condition and it's going to take a long time to clean them up. Um, so, you know, as one of the architects of these, these kinds of frameworks, when we've got politicians who are saying that they're not sure what co-governance is or what it, what it looks like, what would you say to that? Well, uh, you know, I've got no problem with healthy scepticism and discussion, and it becomes the responsibility of the government of the day to get out there and explain what uh, co-governance is and what's the rationale for it. I always remember John Key saying to me, 
when I was dealing with the repeal of the hated foreshore and seabed legislation. Don't be too legal. Don't be too sophisticated. Get out there and repeat simple messages. You may get bored with them. Well, it's important that you keep stressing fundamental points. And that's the role of this government. It's the role of politicians. And it's also the role of opposition politicians to be sceptical and seek discussion, provided they don't indulge in hyperbole or epithet uh, like um, New Zealand First used to. It's, um, you know, you've said it's important that Māori are in these discussions. Um, you know, when you look at Tūhoi and Whanganui, some, some of the newer frameworks, uh, you know, Tūhoi is Tūhoi and Department of Conservation that comes under the framework of um, the Crown working there in, co in, co in partnership. Um, but when it comes to social issues, this is where we're up to now and there's been a, a lot of corridor around the Māori Health Authority. Are we at the stage of having that discussion of, you know, of things that come under Article 3, which is more of the social uh, wellbeing stuff? Well, I think one must first, and it's the government's responsibility, one must first determine, is this co-governance? Or is it a different form of delivering service to, to, to Māori? So, uh, you know, I really do think um, that much of what people are talking about today is co-governance may not be co-governance. So proper definition uh, is going to be very important, but that's the responsibility of government. Well, can I ask, well, can I ask you what your definition is? Because you were also in the government with the Māori Party that formed Fano Order, and you know Fano Order has outdone itself in the last couple of years during the vaccination rollouts. Is that co-governance? Oh, you see, I wouldn't see that as co-governance. I would see that. Uh, as, uh, and I think Tariana did a fabulous job and she pushed this idea time and time again, focusing on the particular needs of uh, Fano members to get them the best outcomes. Uh, but I, I never saw that as co-governance. What I was dealing with with co-governance, uh, and it was natural resources, is there a particular iwi hapu interest in this resource? To what extent uh, or how intense is that interest? What is the sort of model that could be designed to give people a legitimate involvement in the governance of that resource? As you and I well know, you will go on a marae, the person welcoming you uh, will begin by reference to his maunga, or his awa, uh, and uh, so two types of models were designed, an advisory body or a joint management body, depending on the intensity of interest, and by and large, these co-governance models have worked very well. But So I, I really do think some clarity is needed about particular types of governmental activity. Is what is being done co-governance, or is it establishing something to focus on the particular needs uh, of individual Māori in that area. And I'm what, not sure that what is classified as co-governance all the time is co-governance. What, what do you think is, uh, you know, we've got politicians who want to call referendums, who, um, you know, are concerned that co-governance is going to be the future of everything, and also members of the public. What do you think the fear is um, around it? Well. As I said, I have absolutely no problem with healthy scepticism and legitimate debate. 
And I think David Seymour uh, is an excellent opposition politician because he raises these matters in a principled uh, and considered way. And he's, he is a very bright guy. Where I have a problem uh, is with the idea of a referendum, which would be hijacked by the those who love uh, argument by headline, argument by epithet, uh, and um, whipping up a public fear, which will militate very strongly against a mature debate. So let me just emphasize, skepticism is a good thing. And just because people are raising issues doesn't mean they're racists or white supremacists. They're entitled to raise these questions. It's the way in which they're raised. So where should this de debate be held and who should be involved in it and who should be leading it? Well, for those who would like it to be turned into an interesting academic argument, my answer is forget it. This has to be a debate uh, primarily conducted by politicians because uh, whether people like it or not, that is the way get things get decided. Uh, but it is incumbent on the current government to come out and coherently and simply say what exactly they are proposing to do through expanding co-governance, explain what co-governance is, and I don't think that's being done very well at the moment, uh, and the rationale for it, and the rationale for other initiatives, and then it's incumbent on those who are in opposition to challenge those propositions. Debate is good, provided it is not extreme and nasty. Kia ora. Tēnā koe. Thank you for your time this morning, um, uh, Chris Finlayson there. Kia ora. Thank you. Bye. Kia mai tonu. Kia mai tonu mai rā te te tiro e huama akonei ka tō menehia te puka puka tāngata ngaitahu. Auraki mai anō, mō tātou a mō ka uri a muriake. Last week, Ngaitahu Paua Tātipini O'Regan was named New Zealander of the Year. Now, a new edition of the book Tāngata Ngaitahu is celebrating the rich and diverse lives of the people of Ngaitahu. Spanning time, geography and kaupapa, 50 biographies of iwi members bring the tribe's history into the present. I kōrero ki tētehi o ngā ītita, kia Helen Brown. Tēnā koe te rangatira, thank you for joining us and finding some space in your busy day. Volume 2 of Tangata Ngaitahu, congratulations on another taonga. I guess tell us about some of the interesting stories in this one. It seems to have a mana wahine theme, would you agree? Aye, yeah. Kia ora mahi, ngā mahi nui ki a koe. So we did the first volume in 2017 and it's basically 50 biographies of Ngaitahu people spanning 200 years of tribal history. So in this volume, yes, mana wahine is a specific theme, and that really developed in response to volume one, which had featured a majority male cast. We wanted to make Māori women's stories more visible. One of the women is Rhoda Flora Orbell, known as Laura, who was born in the late 1830s, led an ostensibly humble life, but then in 1893, through really a simple act of 
personal conviction uh, in signing the suffrage petition with her daughter, she um, entered this quite special group of Wahine Māori. We only um, understand that there are less than 20, somewhere between 10 and 20 Māori women in total across the country signed the suffrage petition, and she is one of them. Another Wahine who is featured is Hira Pohio Trail, and her name is quite well known, possibly with some negative connotations because she was just so outspoken. If I recall, she was a staunch National Party supporter? Yes, she is. She is. Um, so she's a proponent of the arts. She composes music. She carves Paranamu, which is really interesting. So she's carving Paranamu in the 30s and 40s, 1930s and 1940s, which is quite unusual for a woman. But yeah, she is also very, very political. And she emerges as a really outspoken commentator on politics um, and social and economic issues. And largely we learn about her views through, well, one, her letters to politicians, which are incredible. Um, she's a firebrand with the pen. So, but also through her letters to the editor. She's also, she's taking on the central government. She's particularly opposed to the first Labour government and their, and, yeah, and Eruira Tirikatani and strongly opposes him. And ultimately she opposes the 1944 uh, Ngaitu settlement. She doesn't think it's adequate compensation. She doesn't think it should be accepted as a full and final settlement. She thinks that it should be more expansive. It shouldn't just deal with the Canterbury land purchase, which it does. It should deal with all the other land purchases, which after her passing, she is ultimately vindicated because all of those points are then picked up and interrogated and addressed through the Ngaitohu claim to the Waitangi Tribunal. One of the wahine in the book that is actually in my living memory is Eddie Hapiti Ramston. Um, yes, and I had to have a giggle in the book where her mother, Henrietta, I think her name is, who was married to Eric, leaves the house, the family home, and says, I can't live with him because he's far too Victorian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Eddie Harperty wrote so much um, herself. She used her life and her experiences, but, you know, her enduring legacy of kawhafakaruruho is pretty astounding. And, you know, that concept of cultural safety, you know, ended up, it's, it's been um, taken on board in nursing programs around the world. She seems to have developed that ability really young because, you know, her first uh, career was a nurse and she chose to work in respiratory medicine because so many Māori men were um, suffering at the time and she started to document um, the difference of, you know, the inequity of health system way back then. Yeah, I think that that is extraordinary. So she's um, a young nurse and she elects to work in the respiratory wards because of her own experience, well, with, with her mother having tuberculosis, but her and her brother also contracted it but were treated as children, but they, they suffered really badly from asthma throughout their lives. And do you feel a sense of relief, you know, having completed the second volume now that those tupuna are kind of locked in and their stories are there and remembered because it doesn't take long before we forget? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And some of these people, you know, some of them are really well known, but others, you know, the flax roots, marae stalwarts, whose stories will be remembered and told, you know, in marae settings and um, I guess especially at Tangi, people talking and reminiscing, that kind of thing. So it's really good to put them down 
on paper, yeah, it does feel good. Ko Helen Brown tērā, ko hikine te hui e huama, pai marire kia tātou katoa. Te puna whakatonga rewa te hui i tautoko.